All right, good morning, Mercy Hill Church. My name's Brad. I'm one of the pastors here. If you haven't met me, and I want to invite you to take out a Bible and turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy. If you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles in the aisles on the tables on your left and right. The scriptures will also be on the screen. Turn with me for the last time to the book of 2 Timothy. Today's message comes from verses 9 through 22. I'll ask you to follow along, if you will, as I read. 2 Timothy, verse 9. Paul writes to Timothy, his spiritual son in the faith, his apprentice, and he writes these words. Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with his present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus, I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Probably speaking of Nero. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prissa, which is short for Priscilla, and Aquila, and the household of Anisiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as does Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. I love preaching through books of the Bible. Because as we look at different books of the Bible, even in the closing of a letter that Paul would write to Timothy, we see deep gospel truths that can be applied to our lives. We'd probably never pick this passage of Scripture if we were just teaching topically through kind of self-help sermons. When's the last time you heard a sermon on how to, uh, the, the last words of Paul? Anybody? Topical sermon on the last words of Paul? Probably not. But today, I want to address from this passage in 2 Timothy, I want to address the, the topic of finishing well. Finishing well. This is a topic that's desperately needed in the church. And quite frankly, it rarely happens that we would see Christians who finish well. Starting is easy, finishing well, not so easy. I can prove it to you if you'll be honest and open enough with me. New Year's resolutions, goals you've set for this year, just be honest. Who would shout out one they've already failed at? Shout it out. What is it? 
Already in 2017, reading my Bible every day has not happened. Somebody else, what's something that you failed at already? One new book per month. Already a month behind. I've got a short book you can borrow. <laughs> Someone else, what have you failed at? Eating out less. Yeah. We, we all have things that we've most likely already failed at in the first three months of the year because starting is easy and finishing well is not so easy. The story is told of a couple who had been together for 50 years, and as they laid in bed, the older lady, the wife, said, Honey, I remember when we were younger, you'd hold my hand in bed. And with a little bit of irritation, the husband ruffled the covers and held her hand. A moment passed, and she said, Honey, I can remember when we were younger, you would snuggle up close to me in bed and with much more irritation and with a groan and some creaking, he turned over and cuddled next to his wife. A moment passed and she finally said, Honey, I can remember when we were much younger, you would nibble at my ear. And at that he thrust off the covers and swung his legs out of the bed. And she said, What's wrong? To which he said, I'm going to get my teeth. <laughs> to finish well in marriage... After 50 years, when the aroma of the room is the romance of Ben Gay, and the ear you're nibbling on contains a hearing aid, looks much different than when you start 50 years earlier. There takes a type of perseverance in order to finish well that comes from a deeper wellspring and supply than mere discipline or what we in our flesh can bring to the table. And that's what I want to look at today. I want to look really quickly at four characteristics of those who finish well, and then I want to look at how Paul did it. Not just characteristics, but how he did it. Because this is so important for each of us. Some of you experience trauma in your life today because someone didn't finish well with you. Some of you look back and you see mom and dad who are out of the picture. Maybe there was divorce. Maybe there was separation. Maybe they were gone. And you would give anything today to have had two parents who parented you well and who finished well. And you live with that trauma in your life today because someone didn't finish well. Almost all of us know a pastor, a mentor, someone who was important in our life who didn't finish well. And they left us wondering, are the truths of the faith that they taught me, are they even real? Did they even matter? And we were left struggling at times as skeptics, at other times struggling with unfaithfulness because of someone's lack of unfaithfulness, and that they didn't finish well. Finishing well matters. And in Paul's life, we see four characteristics of how he finished well. The first is this. Paul remained faithful to Jesus, even in times of loneliness. Paul remained faithful to Jesus, even in times of loneliness. Listen to verses 9 and 10. Do your best to come to me soon, Timothy. For Demas, who is a close friend of Paul's, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. 
Paul is at a spot in the end of his life in which he is facing extreme loneliness. He goes on to say in verse 16, At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. This is the Apostle Paul that we're talking about. He's in Rome for crying out loud. All these Christians are there and he feels abandoned. They are scared to be publicly associated with him because they know what will happen to them. Some of Paul's friends have been sent out in order to do ministry in other places. And then he references Demas, who is a close friend. And Paul says that he has seemingly abandoned the faith. Ministry and even the Christian life is lonely at times. Notice I didn't say it can be lonely. Ministry and the Christian life that we experience is lonely at some times. And that doesn't mean that you've done something wrong or that you aren't a friendly person because even in community, we struggle with feelings of loneliness and despair. Feelings of being misunderstood or hurt. And this is part of the human experience because of sin. See, community in our life, as we come around the family that God calls the church, community relieves, but it doesn't take away the loneliness that we sometimes experience. And sometimes within the church, I think that we, in fact, I know that we overpromise. We say things that simply are not true. I'll give you an example. How often have you heard, everyone is accepted, come as you are. That statement is not true at any church. If you come as you are and as you are is naked, you are not welcome here. Naked people are not welcome at our church. You cannot come as you are. But we say this all the time. There are conditions in relationship, and that's how it should be. But we overpromise in many areas. And one of the key areas where I think we overpromise is in the area of community and family. We speak of doing life together. And while that sounds wonderful, the reality is is that community and life is very messy and complicated. And we all bring a lot of baggage with us from the past patterns of behavior and the ways in which we were brought up. And some of us bring carry-on bags and others of us bring big duffels that are stuffed to the brim. We all bring baggage with us and community is messy. I met with a couple of pastors this last week who are part of a church where they are structured around missional communities as a way in which they're attempting to do discipleship. And as I talked with them, I asked them, where do you see good DNA within your missional communities and where do you see weakness? And as we talked, they quickly said, oh, we're a church of 400, but we're strong in community. People regularly say that our church family is warm and welcoming. What they have is they have missional communities that are arranged around mainly stage of life. So all the older people are together. All the younger single people are together. All the young married couples who have young kids are together. And they said, it's, it's just great that people come to our church. And even though there's several hundred here, they always say, it just feels like family. 
I said, it sounds like you don't have much community. They said, what do you mean? I said, community is messy. Community isn't warm and fuzzy. Community involves accountability, and and community is tough because community is the place in which we are shaped by Jesus Christ and by others, and we're shaped into his image, and that is a painful process in our lives. If we're going to finish well and if we're going to persevere, we need to be reminded that we must remain faithful to Jesus even in the times that are lonely. And those times will come. The second way in which we see Paul's uh, faithfulness and his perseverance and the way in which he finished well is that we see that he offered forgiveness like Jesus did. He offered forgiveness. Look in verse 11. You could easily pass over this verse. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. This verse gives me a lot of hope because I've seen a lot of bad ministry breakups. Seen a lot of bad ministry relationships that didn't work out. And Paul's addressing one of those. See, notice that Paul tells Timothy to bring Mark, who he's had... Years earlier, Mark had been the cause of this great dispute between Paul and between Barnabas, who was his mentor. And the dispute was so great that they had split ways. And now Paul, he's humble enough to say, you know what, Mark, who hadn't been faithful in the past and who I refused to do ministry with, I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to admit that either Mark has changed or I was wrong or maybe a little bit of both. And I'm going to say that bring Mark along because he is valuable. Do you see the way in which Paul, even as an older man, that he was humble enough that he would extend forgiveness? So many people get hurt by the church. So many of us. So many people get wounded and disappointed and they don't feel cared for and they walk away and they become bitter. And notice, Paul didn't do any of those things. Paul's not bitter. He's not complaining that he was alone. In fact, as he stood alone before the tribunal, he says, no one stood with me, but God was gracious to stand with me. God was gracious so that Paul was encouraged and he shared the gospel even before the tribunal as he stood there alone. Can you imagine that Paul would have this kind of boldness. And he offered forgiveness. He extended forgiveness, even to John Mark. Some of you have major hurts in your life that you're holding on to, and I just want to encourage you that these are hurts that can't be leaned into within a 30-minute message or within a day or a week or even a month. But there are many of us who have hurts that we need to lean into, that we need to review, that we need to allow the healing power of forgiveness to be extended to those individuals who have caused us hurt and pain and trauma and wounded us. Here's a statement. I want you to write it down. You can think about it. Whatever you disown will control you. Whatever you disown will control you. As you think about the need for forgiveness in your life, 
Forgiveness is not the same thing as excusing. It's not the same thing as forgetting. And it's not the same thing as reconciling. Because some of you need to extend forgiveness to someone who's dead. And you think that that's impossible. It's not. Forgiveness is not the same thing as excusing. That wouldn't be, it wouldn't be safe. There's people who have caused trauma, wounds in our life. We need to remember. We need to remind others that they're unsafe people. It's not the same thing as forgetting. It's not the same thing as excusing. But it's also not the same thing as reconciling. We know that forgiveness begins in our lives when we give up the quest to get even. Whoever you need to extend forgiveness to, you know that forgiveness is beginning when you no longer dream of ways in which you could punish them. Ways in which they might be brought low. You know that you are beginning to extend forgiveness when you no longer dream that they would be hurt and that they would feel the same type of pain that they have inflicted upon you. Forgiveness continues when we begin to see beyond just the hurts and when we can begin to see the person who has hurt us. When we see them as a human being and we see that there were patterns in their life There were traumas in their life that led them to become the person they became. And that while, yes, they are still in a way guilty, but that there are a lot of things that led to that. And we begin to see them as a real person, not just for what they've done, but who they are. And we know that we're making real progress in forgiveness when we can begin to wish that person well when we can begin to want good things for that person. Now, I didn't help you much, but maybe that diagnosed some areas of your heart and your life where you need to begin the journey of extending forgiveness to someone. Forgiveness is so important because unforgiveness chains us to the pain within our life. We relive it over and over again. There is no human beings who are more miserable than the unforgiving. Because whatever you disown will control you. And in this little verse, we see that Paul was a man who didn't hold on to hurts. He was willing to extend forgiveness, even to Mark, and to wish Mark well by saying, Mark is now valuable to me. The one I refused to do ministry with, the one I sent away, the one who caused a breakup between me and my mentor, he is now valuable to me. Paul had extended forgiveness. Thirdly, we see a characteristic of those who finish well, become a lifelong learner, and a lover of Jesus. I'm not going to spend much time on this, but if you look in verses 12 and 13, Tychicus I've sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. It'd be really easy to look over uh, Paul's grocery list here. <laughs> you know, uh, he, he's sharing his, his contact list with us and his grocery list. You know, his uh, bring my cloak, it's getting cold, winter's coming, my books and my parchments. Okay, sure. Sure you want books and parchments when you're in a dungeon, Paul. You're, that's just who you are. You're nerdy. It'd be really easy for us to excuse Paul. But the truth is we see Paul's perseverance through this statement. We see Paul who is unwilling to give up. And how many people do you meet along the way 
who something takes place within their life and they just give up. I talk to, I talk to people regularly and I hear things like, oh yeah, we used, to, we used to really be involved with the youth at our last church. I mean, we had a pool and they were, the teenagers were always at our house and that we had snacks that were filled. You know, the, the pantry was filled with snacks and our, our house was a place where everybody crashed and we've done, we've done the teenage ministry or, oh yeah, we used to do foster care. We, we had a dozen kids who stayed with us. And how often is it in our lives that we speak of the great ministry and the ways in which God has used us in the past? Paul refused to do that. Paul didn't talk about what used to be. Paul said, bring me my books and my parchments because I am a player who's not willing to ride the bench. I'm going to play until the last second. I am in this for the long haul because he was a lifelong learner, but there was, a, there was something within Paul's life that created a, a greater capacity and depth for following Jesus than just discipline. Okay? He wasn't just scholarly. He wasn't just a professor. He wasn't just that person that you've known and grown to hate who loves to wake up at 4.45 in the morning and talks about how they see the sunrise every morning, how they read their Bible for an hour. No, he wasn't just that type of person. He was someone who wasn't simply disciplined and simply a learner. He was a lover of Jesus. He was a lover of Jesus. And I want to ask you, as you think about your own life, and you think about the rhythms of your life and the patterns of your life, do you have the kind of resiliency within yourself? Are you a learner of Jesus? Are you a learner of Jesus and a lover of Jesus? As you spend time with Jesus, does your heart grow as you learn more about him? I've known my wife for 23 years. And I know a lot about my wife. But there are still a lot of things that I can learn about her story. She shared a story with me yesterday that I'd never heard from her childhood. A story that was in a small way traumatic. And she shared it with me. One of, one of my favorite questions that I've recently found to ask my wife is this. Tell me about your fourth grade school year. Tell me about your fourth grade school. And she began telling me about who her teacher was and what fourth grade was like. And we talked about what elementary school was like and then what middle school was like. And there's so many different parts of my wife's story that I can still come to know. And as I come to know them, I understand her more and I love her more. And the same is true with our relationship with Jesus, that as we come to know Him more, it gives us the opportunity to love Him more. So many Christians wonder, why does God seem so far away? And the truth is that if you look at their lives, they give Jesus about 2% of their lives, and then they wonder, why does He seem so far away? As we come to know the person of Jesus... We learn more about him, and it gives us the opportunity not only to know him, to learn about him, but to love him. And the way you do that is not always warm and cuddly, you know? I would like to think that always involves a cup of coffee and a candle and some great music playing, and I'm reading in my Bible. The truth of the matter is I really struggle to get up in the mornings, you know? And I really struggle to make time in my schedule to be with Jesus and to know Him more and 
to slow down enough to really enjoy life with Him. But Jesus modeled that for us well. Today's Palm Sunday, if you look at the the church calendar, as Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey and as people waved palm branches and they sang, Hosanna, Hosanna. And I want you to remember this this week as you prepare your hearts for Easter Sunday. We prepare our hearts for the resurrection to celebrate. I want you to remember this week that today... On Palm Sunday, this is the fastest that Jesus ever moved. It's while riding a donkey. The fastest pace he ever ran was on the back of a donkey. Jesus didn't have a calendar that he kept. He didn't have a day planner. There were people all around him, but he was never hurried. We live our life in such a hurry, in such a rush, at such a pace in order to know Jesus and learn about him, but more importantly, to love him. We must slow the pace of our life and learn to spend time with him. Paul knew Jesus. He was a learner and a lover of Jesus. And finally, if you look in verses 14 through 18, Paul found contentment in Jesus alone. Contentment in Jesus. Look at these verses. He writes and he says, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him uh, for what he's done. Be aware of him for yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. In my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against him. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul had learned the valuable lesson of contentment. That even in times of disappointment and hurt, he didn't grow bitter. He's at the end of over a 30-year stint of ministry in which he's given his life as a living sacrifice day after day after day. And as he stands in a court in front of the greatest tribunal in all the world, and as he stands there, no one comes to stand with him. And as he stands alone, he finds contentment in Jesus that enables him to be strong and to persevere. He talks about this in Philippians uh, chapter 4. He talks about this kind of contentment in verses 11 through 13. Listen to these verses. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul learned contentment. I saw a Facebook video this last week, and a man uh, had on a jacket. He had on a money coat, and he had a blazer on that had $1 bills taped to it, and he had a sign, a cardboard sign that said, take what you need, and he was walking the streets of New York City. And the way the video was edited, there were a couple different people who came to him who had designer purses or designer uh, pieces of clothing on, and as they came to him, they hurriedly took lots of money, and he would say, 
It's a money coat. Take what you need. Why, is that a Gucci bag that you're carrying? Yes. Well, why do you need so much? One lady said, oh, I'm getting my nails done tomorrow. I need a lot. And the video edited as he walked near a homeless man. And the man read the sign and said, I'll take two. I'm hungry. This will get me something to eat. And he said, you're hungry. You need more than two. He said, no, this will get me food. He said, how about you need food for tomorrow? Take more. He said, there may be others who have needs. I'll take two. This will be enough. That video really impacted me as I watched it because I realized how regularly I struggle with discontentment. It's never enough. It's never fast enough, big enough, nice enough, shiny enough. We are a nation who is discontent. Paul had learned the beauty of contentment. Finding Jesus as enough, putting his hope in Jesus, which takes us back to this idea of lifelong learning and lover of Jesus. How do you love someone you don't see, talk to, know about, spend time with? You got to know him. You got to spend time with him in order to love him. If you're discontent, take time to spend with Jesus. If you're discontent, spend time in community. Open your Bible journal. Write down things you're grateful for. Meet us Wednesday mornings at 6 a.m. at Overton Chapel. We pray for an hour. Invite you, come and pray with us there. Find contentment in Jesus. Is it easy to get up in the mornings? No, it's very difficult. Is it worth it to get up in the mornings? Absolutely, because we find contentment in Jesus when we ground ourselves in the disciplines of His grace. Paul finally ends. It's really interesting how he bookends this letter. You know, we all want to finish well. But the truth is that we will face some circumstances in our life, some obstacles that will cause even our greatest desires and even our greatest disciplines just simply to fail. But in his final moments, Paul displayed incredible perseverance that seemed to be rooted in something deeper than discipline, and desire. Paul shows us that his perseverance was rooted in the grace of God. Verses 19 through 22, Paul ends. He always bookends his letters with these words, grace be with you. He explains that in 1 Corinthians 5. Listen to these, uh, 1 Corinthians 15. Listen to these two verses in 9 and 10. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Remember, Paul was a murderer. A murderer. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Do you see that Paul, if you look at Paul's life from the outside, you're like, Who is this guy who lives this way? He's incredible. 
And Paul says, I did work hard. I did toil. I did labor in my pursuit of Jesus. But it was the grace of God that fueled my labor. It was the grace of Jesus that brought about these types of results. And it's the grace of Jesus that causes us to be a lover of Jesus. Grace is a motivator. Grace is God's unmerited favor. His gift to us for no reason. I like to think of grace like receiving a brand new Lexus with a big red bow on top of it on April Fool's Day. It makes no sense. Is this for me? Yes, it's for you. It's an incredible car. It looks like a Christmas present. It's April Fool's Day. Certainly it shouldn't be for me. No, it's for you. It makes no sense. Grace makes no sense. It's impossible to illustrate. Grace is like getting framed for the murder of your spouse. And while in prison, you decide to donate your heart to the person who actually murdered them. That's getting at grace. It's so extravagant, it's silly. It's love beyond reason. Grace is our riches at Christ's expense. And the cross is the ultimate symbol of God's grace to us. We didn't earn it, and we can't work for it. It's freely, and some would say foolishly, given. And that was Paul's motivator, the grace of God. Do you know that kind of grace in your life? Have you come to know the grace that only Jesus offers us? Do you know His grace? Do you know Him? Not just about Him. Do you love Him? God is doing a work in us that is a work that we can't accomplish on our own. We're involved in it. We contribute to it. It brings, it comes about as we labor and as we toil. And yes, there is hard work involved. But as we co-partner with the Holy Spirit in the work that God is doing in us of sanctification, it is the grace of God that fuels us and that motivates us and that gives us the ability to persevere. God is at work in us. He's shaping us. He's changing us into the image of his son. Soren Kierkegaard said it this way, Now with God's help, I shall become myself. I pray that by God's grace, as we come to know Jesus more and more, as we learn about him, as our love for him grows, as we persevere doing the work he has called us to, co-laboring with him, that we would come to know him more, that we would come to experience him more, that we would grow in his grace, and that we would finish well. Let's pray together. Father, as we look at Paul's life, we're reminded that we fail in so many ways. God, we fail just as we show up. We, we fail. We come with so much baggage and so many hurts and hang-ups and, God, so many patterns of sin that still remain in our life. But, God, by your grace, you have saved us. You've called us out. You've called us from darkness to light, and you've awakened our hearts to the truths of the gospel. 
and you've forgiven us and you've transformed us 